Amen. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your presence here today. Father, we thank you for Mike Warner and the life and the gift that he was to us as a community. And I pray, God, your blessing over his family, over the church family of Foursquare, and God, that you would, what, what the enemy has meant for harm, God, I thank you that you're going to work powerful good out of this situation. Powerful good in the name of Jesus. And today, God, I pray, even as we begin to engage our hearts when it comes to the preaching and the declaring of the good news of the gospel, I pray your anointing and your blessing over Tom. Father, I thank you for this message that he started last week. And I pray, God, that right now, God, would you prepare our hearts. Father, right now, would you begin to soften our hearts and give us ears to hear individually, God, what you want to speak to us. God, would you give us eyes to see clearly what you're wanting to show us today when we talk about anger and how, God, you want us to respond in our hearts. So, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you to come and do heart surgery on us today. Would you just ask the Lord, Lord, do heart surgery on me today. Ask the Lord, God, open my eyes today. Let me see what you want me to see. So, Lord, I just pray a preparing of our hearts and an anointing to break the yoke. In the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you, Tom. Amen. <clears throat> well, um, we're flipping things, uh, number one, because I, I have a lot I need to cover, but not enough for two weeks worth. <laughs> But also, um, I feel like the Lord's going to have us respond to him uh, in a powerful way concerning anger in our lives. Um, but before we, I even start, I'm going to go ahead and call the ushers forward because we're going to just take up the offering right now. Just kind of knock that out of the way. Not that it's a burden to give because it's joy. That's what the Bible says. It is joy to give our strength away to God. So, Father, we just, uh, we thank you. We thank you, God, for the joy to give, the joy to give that which you've already provided and hand it right to back to you, God. So, Father, we just pray right now that you would put joy in our hearts if there's fear. And, God, you would put a, a, a boldness in our heart, God, as we give this morning, as we declare that heaven is our source, God, now in the name of Jesus, we offer this tithe and this offering to you. In your awesome name we pray, amen. I also want to encourage you, if today is your first time, um, welcome. We're glad to see you. In the seat somewhere in front of you is a guest information card. If you wouldn't mind pulling that out right now, and start filling it out uh, when this basket makes it to you, hopefully. <laughs> if you would put that card in the basket, let us know you were here. Or if you want to hold on to it, because I know there's some questions that you can't answer until you get to the end of the service. <laughs> like, what did you enjoy most? We want to know. Was it the message, the music, and you know, the fact that Alger gave you a hug? I don't, whatever is the most important thing that touched you today. But uh, 
if you would fill one of those out and put it in the, the basket or, or hand it to one of the, our people at the Welcome Center at the end of service. And if you go out to our Welcome Center, we have a special gift for you and your family. So, um, All right. Almost done. Good. Flip 180, you guys can... Uh... Oh, you're staying. Okay. You're staying. Good. Good. Awesome. Kids deal with anger, too. In fact, too bad you weren't here last week, because it was mostly about you. And when I say that, I mean your parents are mostly mad about you. <laughs> so, so please listen powerfully. <laughs> you have power more than you realize. You wield a strength that every mother needs to take back today. <laughs> Amen. We need to take our power back. I, I'm serious. We are so we victimize ourselves. Over and over and over by people's decisions, other people's decisions. We're, we're constantly I, I, living at the mercy of how other people live. And part of dealing with anger is, is, is ending that cycle of living victimized by other people's actions. And realizing that we are powerful, powerful people who do not have to be led by circumstances and situations. Do you agree with that? Amen. Amen. So last week I started talking about um, a really deadly emotion that is plaguing I probably almost every heart at some point in our life. And last week I, I started to talk about the root of anger. And where does anger come from? And I had shared about how anger can be kind of uh, distilled down. You can kind of make it real plain and easy to understand. That, that when anger is, is, is lodged itself in our heart, that one of the main thoughts or, or ideas that we have that, that kind of fuel our our anger is this simple notion that anger comes when we do not get what we want. Anger comes from this thing of where we are going in life, we're doing life, and then something happens and we don't get what we want. Now this is real easy to see if you have children or if you've watched any other people's children. If you're a human being around children, you know that every argument these little people have, every issue they ever go through is always about not getting what I want. I mean, it, they're born that way. They are born with this thing of, I want food, I want my bottom wiped, I want to be held. And when they don't get those things, what do they do? Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Listen to me now. Come get me now. I'm over being alone. 
Problem is, is we carry that thing all the way till we're 40 and 50 and 60. 70, 80, 90. I've made a mess in my pants, Pastor. Come clean me up. Sorry, I can't be there. And the hole comes out. So at the root of, of anger and being angry is this thing of not getting what we want. Ultimately, what we say, what we're saying in our interactions with those people that we're angry, whether we're interacting with them or not, whether we even have contact with them or not, when we're, we, we hold anger in our hearts for people, ultimately what we've said is, you owe me. You owe me something. Every person that you have held a grudge against can be distilled down to the fact that you owe me. You took something from me. You denied me something. You owe me respect. You owe me your love and affection. You owe me a good marriage. You owe me obedience, little boy, little girl. You owe me. And we create this debt with people. We put people on notice. We say, you're in the red with me relationally. What are you going to do about that? So anger says, you owe me. And, was, and, and as we've all experienced, and if we haven't experienced, we've watched it, angry people approach life and love and relationships. They approach it looking to be paid back. Angry people are looking to be paid back. I'm going to get out of my husband what I didn't get out of my dad. I'm going to get out of my wife what I didn't get out of my mother. I'm going to get out of my teacher or my pastor what I didn't get from mom or dad. So today I want to talk about how do we, kind of, how do we begin to process and get rid of anger. And again, if you didn't, weren't here last week, or maybe I hope you listened to the podcast so there's some context. And I want to get, I want to, I, I realize that anger is not sin when it's done the Bible way. We know God gets angry. We know Jesus got angry in the temple. We know Paul tells us in Ephesians, be angry, but sin not. So it's an emotion that is hardwired into our DNA. It's been given to us by God as we were created in his likeness and in his image. But I'm going to come from the angle that the anger you hold is not righteous indignation. It's not about a cause. It's about a debt that you have levied against someone or maybe everyone. And so as I'm talking about how to get rid of anger, it's when I begin to share this, I realize that you're going to go, oh, of course. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not going to be brain surgery. It's, it's not deep how we process anger. It's really simple. It's called forgiveness. Everybody say forgiveness. Forgiveness is the remedy for anger. Forgiveness is the solution for your anger problem. But it's not as easy as it sounds, is it? If it was, we all wouldn't be angry all the time. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure many of you, like me, have tried forgiving, but nothing really changes. And I think the reason for that is because we have some confusion over exactly what is forgiveness. And so that's really what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the topic of forgiveness. Now, when we get into the topic of forgiveness, usually there's three kinds of people that, you know, are in the room. The first group believes that they ought to forgive but can't seem to muster the courage to do it. That's one group. The second group feels like they would be letting the offender off the hook. And that's not right, is it? And then there's this third group that claims to have gone through the motions of forgiveness. But those old feelings and memories just keep coming back leaving them to wonder if they've really forgiven at all. So how do we forgive someone? How do you know if you have forgiven a person? I mean, what if, what if that other person is a repeat offender? Well, I want to look at a passage of Scripture to help kind of answer some of these questions. So if you would, let's first, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. And it says there, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, in this passage, Paul has given us a command. Not a suggestion, not an option. He has given us a command. And he says, get rid of anger. Now, that doesn't really make any sense, does it? I mean, how do we get rid of an emotion that's been hardwired? Well, the Greek word that is translated get rid of, it means to remove or to separate yourself from. And so the, the, the kind of the picture of that word get rid of is kind of like have, you, like, have you ever unintentionally like walked into a spider web? You know, you're just hopping her along and then all of a sudden it hits you in the face and you're like, oh, oh. you know? I mean, what do you do when it happens, right? I mean, don't you thrash around like a crazy person? Oh, get it off of me. 
there's millions of spiders somehow on me now. And you start pulling at everything that feels like a piece of spider web, you know? You're pulling at your hair and your face, your clothes, everything. Well, that's the idea of that word, get rid of. It's, it's get it off and get it off now. And get it off quick. That's what get rid of means. Get it off and get it off quick. Now, there's another word in Paul's statement that needs our attention. Because Paul also says, um, he uses the word all. He says, get rid of all. Now, that's a pretty big idea. That's a pretty big deal. To get rid of all anger? I mean, really? All anger, God? You're commanding me to get rid of all anger? I mean, it kind of strikes me as being insen- you know, insensitive. I mean, Paul, he lived 2,000 years ago, right? I mean, he's got no idea what's going on in my life. How could he possibly make that statement? How could he tell me to get rid of it? I mean, seriously. I, you know, what if a, a total stranger just came up to you at Walmart and just demanded that you get rid of all your bitterness? Hey, I saw you going down the aisle and you look angry. Get rid of it. Drop it right now. Just drop what you're angry right now. Yeah. Well... If that happened to you, the, the G-rated version would, would probably be something like mind your own business, right? That would be the very Christian thing to say. Mind your own business, you know. Besides, you haven't heard my side of the story. And you know, if I stuck around long enough to hear... I might be convinced that you have every right to be mad and to stay mad. I might even be tempted to help you pay back whoever wronged you. But before we write Paul off, before we dismiss him as an outdated, out-of-touch religious figure who has no really no idea about what's going on in the real world. I want us to consider something. We need to consider that when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, when he wrote this letter, he was not sitting in a hammock with his laptop in Hawaii. Dear church, is the breeze from the ocean tussles my hair, I command you, get rid of all your anger. <laughs> Sign Paul. Send email. That's not where he wrote that letter. See, when, when Paul wrote this letter, he wrote it from a Roman dungeon. He was in hell. It's not a prison where you get three meals some kind of cot to lay your head on. 
Paul had been arrested unjustly. That means unfairly. It means there was no right for him to be arrested, but he got arrested anyway. And he got sent off to Rome. And he had been waiting for his trial. When he wrote this letter, he had been waiting for his trial for over a year. Just rotting in a dungeon. And so, in spite of all those circumstances, Paul instructs us to get rid of any traces of bitterness and anger. But is this even possible? Paul seems to think so. And you know what? Paul doesn't qualify his words either. You know, he doesn't give anybody an out. He doesn't make room for this kind of tragic event. He doesn't say, get rid of all your anger and bitterness, except if you've been raped. He doesn't say, get rid of all that anger and hatred unless you've been abused. He doesn't give anybody a way out. He says, get rid of it all. So if he makes that statement to us, maybe there is a way to get rid of it. I don't think he set us up for failure. I don't think he set something so high that we can't reach. What if there is a way to rid ourselves of bitterness and anger? Well, the question I ask is, what did Paul know that I don't? (laughs) Something, apparently. What moved him to speak so authoritatively, so directly to, to a bunch of people who he doesn't even know their circumstances. Well, let's go back to Ephesians 4. We're going to read that, verse 31. And this, again, he says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other. I'm going to stop right there. In this passage, Paul suggests that we combat bitterness and brawling with kindness and compassion towards the people who have done the wrong to us. And so he says that, and then here's our big word. That word, forgiving. Now, the structure of this sentence, it implies that forgiveness is the very thing that enables us to show kindness and compassion to the people who have given us neither kindness 
nor compassion. It is forgiveness that is the power to live kind towards other people. Forgiveness is the power, it is the fuel, it is the energy for you to be able to show compassion to someone who doesn't look like they deserve it. Now, if Paul had stopped right there, we might be able to retreat to our well-rehearsed excuses about how badly we've been treated or how unfair life is. But Paul didn't stop there. You see, he, he frames the concept of forgiveness in a way that should cause every one of us to pause and really think deeply about what he's saying. Let's read verse 32 again. He says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ and God forgave you. Drink that in for just a moment. You see, the kindness and compassion that Paul refers to are are to be fueled by an attitude of forgiveness. But not just any kind of forgiveness. We are to extend an attitude of forgiveness that looks just like the forgiveness that God has given us. You see, that little phrase, just as, it should be in bold. It should be underlined. It should be highlighted. It should be italicized. It should be in like two times, three times size font as the rest of that passage. Just as. Those words, just as, gives Paul confidence to call people that he barely knew, people who he doesn't know their story. Those two words gives him confidence and authority to to declare that there's a behavior that we should espouse that most of us consider unrealistic. But more importantly, those words, just as, they are key to allowing God to rid our hearts of bitterness and resentment. Resentment that that has the potential to reach their destructive tentacles into every important relationship you have. You see, just as it, it redefines and it upgrades the meaning of forgiveness... Well, let's, let's look at Peter's encounter for, with forgiveness. You know, he was one of Jesus' disciples, and, and because of that, Peter understood that his responsibility to forgive 
um, was an important one. He, he got that. But he wasn't sure how far to take it. That is, you know, what do you do about the person who hurts you over and over and over and over again? What do you do with that guy? What do you do with that girl who is a repeat offender? So Peter pulls Jesus aside and he asks him this question in Matthew 18. In verse 21, he says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, the question Peter's asking, he's, in other words, he's saying, really, <laughs> when is it okay not to forgive? When is it okay? Now, Peter wanted to do the right thing. I, I, I know I got to forgive, but come on, we've all got our limits, Lord. Really? My wife didn't have dinner on the table for a third night. I'm done. No more forgiveness for you. We've all got our limits. I mean, really, where's the justice in a system where forgiveness is offered at every turn? Oh, you're forgiven, and you're forgiven, and I forgive you. I mean, where's the justice? Well, by asking that question, how often shall I forgive? Peter started to reveal his own misunderstanding about the nature of forgiveness. You see, like us, Peter assumed that forgiveness is for the benefit of the other person. How many times do I let my brother off the hook for what he took from me? How many times do I let my dad off the hook for how he hurt me? How many times? Because it's for their benefit. I'm just stuck with a yucky feeling. Peter didn't understand the real meaning of what forgiveness was, the nature of forgiveness. And so, like many of us, you know, Peter was willing to stretch. How about seven times? That seems like a lot, and that's God's perfect number and everything. You know, that's very Christian. Seven times of forgiveness. You know, he wanted to be a nice guy. He was willing to go as many as seven rounds with the same person about the same issue. But after that, or some other predetermined point, <laughs> maybe it was 10, maybe you like 11 better. No more. I'm out. I'm done. After all, forgiveness has its limits, right? But of course, our lovely Lord and Savior has a completely different thought on the matter. So let's, let's look at that. Start in Matthew 18, start in verse 23. 
Jesus answers and he says, I tell you that it's not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to set the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him, and he says, Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And so the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Now, the thing that makes this parable so helpful is that Jesus talks about the emotionally charged nature of forgiveness in a way that everybody can understand. See, he takes all of the mystery out of it. And this is what he would... He was trying to say, Jesus was saying that forgiveness is all about canceling debt. Why don't you say that with me? Forgiveness is all about canceling debt. Simply put, simply put, forgiveness is about canceling debt. It is a decision that we make to say, you don't owe me anymore. Just think about that. When someone hurts you, there's a sense in which they've taken something from you, right? And so what happens? A debt is incurred. You hurt me, you took something from me, and now you owe me. Whenever there is a hurt, there is a theft. There's an imbalance, and somebody owes somebody. This is why we say things like, I'm going to get even with him. You see, in order to achieve justice, the transaction has to take place that, that transfers something back to the victim. Maybe it's an apology. Maybe it's a favor. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's some other form of restitution, but the tension remains until the debt is settled. Now, in Jesus' parable, the king, the master, he was going to settle his debt with the servant by selling the servant and his wife and his children and everything he had. And the king had every right to do that under ancient law. That was his right to get payment. But the servant, on the other hand, did the only thing he could do. He begged 
for mercy. That's all he had. You see, 10,000 talents was an enormous amount of money. More than this guy will ever make in his whole lifetime. Do you get that? He cannot work enough hours. He cannot earn enough money to pay back that debt. There was no possibility of that happening. Though in his mind, he thought, well, I could do this. It wasn't possible. So fortunately for him, the master, the king in this story, he did something. He forgave him. You see, the king was a merciful man. And he took pity on this guy and he canceled the debt. He, he decided to, to forego his, his right to be paid back. That is the essence of forgiveness. A decision to forego the right to be paid back. It is the cancellation of debt. Now let's read some more. In verse 28, it says that the servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Looks like he's got an anger problem. And he says, pay back what you owe me. He demanded it. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him as well. And he said, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Now, we find... The forgiven servant is now in the same position as his master was. He is in a place of power. And his buddy owes him 100 denarii, which was a small amount that no doubt the guy could eventually pay off. I'll get you your $1,000. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Please give me some time. I'll pay you back, I swear. Just give me some time to come up with it. Now, we would expect that this guy who just had this enormous debt canceled, no way in, in heaven or hell that he could pay it off, we would expect that this guy who just, just like walked out would carry that same heart. That he would extend the same grace to his brother. But let's read in verse 30. It says he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. 
So then the master called the servant in and he says, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Now right there is Jesus' definition. There it is, that definition of forgiveness. He says, I canceled your debt. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had, the, had mercy on your fellow servant just like I had on you? Now, is there anyone who wouldn't agree with that? Every one of us says, oh, yeah. That should have been what happened. So verse 34, it says, In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And wouldn't you agree with the king on that? I mean, anybody that ungrateful deserves to have his to have to pay his, his debt back. Someone that ungrateful. And this wasn't extraordinary punishment. This was simply a matter of holding the servant to his end of the original agreement. He owed it, and now he has to pay it. So far, so good, right? But listen... The next line in the scripture really hits us hard. Because this was the part of the story that nobody expected. And if Peter was still wondering what any of this had to do with his original question, he's about to have it painfully clear. Because Jesus says in, in verse 35... This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Say, from my heart. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, if the meaning of this parable wasn't clear in the beginning, guess what it is now? Everybody give me a nervous laugh. <laughs> you see, the king in the story represents God. And the servant who had his debts forgiven represents everybody who has had his or her sin canceled by the blood of Jesus. And the second servant is anybody that we are holding something against. Because of something they've done to us. Because of something they've taken from us. These are the people who have offended us. They've hurt us. They've embarrassed us. They've used us mistreated us, abandoned us, rejected us. These are the people who owe us. 
And Jesus' words could not be any more clear. Cancel their debt. Forgive them or else. Now that sounds like a terrible thing to tell someone who has been taken advantage of. Someone who has been abused, someone has, who has suffered great loss at the hands of another. And I've got to be honest, when Jesus says, this is how my Father will treat each of you, I don't know with absolute certainty what he's referring to, to be honest. But obviously, it's not good. Clearly, this was meant as a stern warning to those who refuse to forgive. So Peter had his answer. Your job is to forgive every single time. And if you don't, you will pay dearly. So if we were to summarize this thing, I would say that if we hold out waiting to be paid back for the wrongs done to us, we will be the ones who actually pay. If, on the other hand, though, we decide to cancel these debts that are owed to us, then guess what we get to be? Free people. We get to live the freedom that Christ paid for. If we cancel the debt. If we live our lives only in the shadow of the hurt, only in the shadow of the pain, only in the shadow of that which has been done to us, then, then forgiveness will feel like a reward. A reward to my enemy. But, everybody say but. When we live in the shadow of the cross, when we stand in the presence of the cross, Forgiveness now becomes simply a gift from one undeserving soul to another. Forgiveness is a gift that ensures my freedom from living in a prison of bitterness and resentment and anger. You see, when I accept forgiveness from God, I am set free from the penalty of my sins. Yeah, yeah, we all get that one, Tom. Yep, yep, yep. 
That's Bible 101. We, we agree. Amen. When I extend forgiveness to my adversary, then I am free from the, the effects of their sin. That is the force behind what Paul is telling us. He says in Ephesians 4.32, he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, the kind of forgiveness that Paul is talking about doesn't make any sense unless you're a forgiven person. It doesn't make any sense. It won't register for you. If you live in self-righteousness and you are not on, a, on this daily gratitude of the cross in my life, forgiveness makes no sense to you. Paul felt free to command the believers in Ephesus to forgive unconditionally. Because Paul knew, I'm writing a letter to Christians, to people who are forgiven. to men and women who themselves have experienced the forgiveness of God. You know, when someone is hesitant to forgive, it's usually because they're evaluating their, their, their decision in the light of what was done to them instead of what was done for them. I'm going to say that again. People are hesitant to forgive because they are evaluating their decision in the light of what was done to them, not what was done for them. That's a big difference that is I am focused here but now I'm focused here if you're a Christian you are not expected to treat others the way you've been treated by others You've been called to treat people the way you've been treated by your Father in heaven. You do not forgive because the other person deserves it. You forgive because you've been forgiven. So how do we do this practically? Well, last week I, I told you to make a list. People you're angry at. And I really hope there's some nasty people on that list. 
you know, and when I say nasty, I don't mean they really are. I'm just saying your opinion of them because those are the people you're angry at. I hope your ex-wife is on that list. I hope your ex-husband's on that list. I hope your drug-addicted children are on that list. I hope your abusive mom or dad is on this list. These are the people we have to be free from. So you've already done the first step. You've identified who you're hungry or you're <laughs> who you're angry with. I'm hungry for righteousness and forgiveness, man. I can feel some of your anger right now. <laughs> so I'm hungry for it. <laughs> Put my name at the top. <laughs> Pastor Tom doesn't love me the right way. He makes me mad. <sighs> okay, so how do we get free? Step one is you need to identify who you are angry with. And it doesn't have to be. It's not limited just to the trauma experiences. You got angry at the guy who cut you off on the way to church. That person. When you went to go pay your bill that was late and you're on customer service and you didn't like how they treated you, that person goes on the list. Identify who you are angry with. Number two, if you're writing this down, and I hope you are because this is a go-to lifestyle habit that I'm asking us to develop as people. Because if you come today and you're all primed and ready and your emotions are wild and the Spirit of God moves and you forgive a few people and then you go back to being angry tomorrow and this doesn't become a habit, a habit, you're going to be back where you were today. Determine what these people owe you. You owed me a good marriage. You owed me time, love, affection, money, purity, a raise, understanding, whatever they owed you. Number three is cancel that debt. Everybody say, cancel the debt. Number three, you have to cancel that debt. It is not good to say, oh, I forgive my dad. Oh, really? For what? Oh, I just, everything. He was a terrible person, so I just forgive him. Really? Have you talked to him? No. Why not? Well, just, you know, it's, he's busy and I'm busy. And What did you actually forgive him for? Everything. No. No. You have to forgive him for when he didn't take you fishing. You have to forgive him when he uh, cussed you out and said you were a worthless piece of whatever. You have to be specific in what they owe you 
so that you can cancel that specific debt. And then here's the big one that makes it stick. Number four. Number four. If you don't do number four, then all the hard work and emotional duress you go through, (laughs) it's all going to be for naught. You must dismiss the case. I forgive you. You took this from me. I cancel your debt in the name of Jesus and I forgive you. You no longer owe me. And then you wake up tomorrow morning and it's right there. Are you going to pick that up? Oh, I remember what this feels like. It's like a warm blanket. Nope. You have to dismiss that issue. You have to dismiss that case. You can no longer pick it up. You cannot return to it like a dog to its vomit. It has to be done with. It has to be over with. And if you think the enemy is going to leave you alone on the crimes that have been committed, you are naive. fact, he won't even have to work that hard because you'll probably have a conversation with your mom and she will do the same thing that you're forgiving her for today. Repeat offender, right? For this to, to truly rid our hearts of anger, it has to become a daily habit. Practicing forgiveness before the sun goes down. See, that's the other part. When Paul says, be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. He's saying, you know what? Stuff happens. And you get ticked off. And you didn't get what you want. And you didn't get your way. And you didn't, your day just blew up. And you can blame your kids. And you're unwilling to help husband and your boss or whatever. It happens. But you've got to keep a short list. You must, before your head hits the pillow, go to the heart and say, who am I angry at? Who made me mad today? Who made me mad today? Who made me angry? Who took something from me? Who who owed me something and they didn't give it to me? Write it down. Cancel that debt in the name of Jesus and then don't pick it up again the next day. This is a habit that you must develop. The king doesn't come along while you're walking the road and he says, okay, you don't have to forgive that guy. He's a bad one. Or he doesn't pick you up in his arms and say, what he meant to say was you're forgiven. Jesus doesn't do it for us. He lives in us and his spirit gives us the power for us to obey how to forgive. He will not overdo your own will. He will not override it. So as you prepare for bed, you go through whatever routine. 
Think about who made you mad, who hurt you, who really let you down. Cancel their debt. Dismiss their case. And do not reopen it. And that's hard because it's a good excuse for why we are the way we are. Worship team, why don't you come down? We hear things like, well, my dad was an angry person, so I'm just, you know, it's just who we are. We're just angry people. I got a short fuse, but it's okay. I mean, I don't hold grudges. No, it's not okay. If you're set off that easy, it's because there's, some, there's a cancer that's in your heart. When you've got a, a, a hair trigger, when you've got a short fuse, it's because there's a buildup of anger and resentment and bitterness that you've not dealt with. And one thing I was going to do was make little slips for everybody, but I was afraid I couldn't make enough. So, what I do want you to do is we begin to enter the presence of the Lord again through worship. I want you to do business with God today. I want you to, to write those names down. You don't have to write full name, just whatever. What they owe you. And then while we are in the presence of God today, I want you to forgive them of their debt. Cancel that which they have owed you your whole life. And if you're having a hard time figuring it out, go ahead and put your spouse on that list. Go ahead and put your parents on that list. Go ahead and put your pastors on that list. Put your boss on that list. Put your disobedient, unresponsive children on that list. Now, that may say, oh, no, how dare I hold a grudge against my children? You do. You do. You're angry. Put all of that down and then come forth today. And if you want to, as a symbolic act, to just lay it here on the altar. Wad it up, fold it up, tear it up. I don't care. Something to, to let your heart know before the Lord, I've canceled this person's debt. Now, you may not get all of it taken care of today. In fact, you can't. You will never be done with this process because it is a habit. You will never, ever be done forgiving people. It will never come to an end because people live. You are not the only person on the planet. So now, though, now, 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 God is wanting to do a work in our hearts. So I'm going to ask everybody to just stand up with us. Jesus' definition of forgiveness is debt canceling. That is his word. Those are his words. 
close your eyes. Just close your eyes. the or else option we are a people who want the forgiveness we want to be people who are forgivers of sin come Holy Spirit come and reveal our hearts And as we sing, I encourage you to, to come forth out of your seats. If you, can eat, if you want to come to the altar and pray and, and set your, your canceled dead on the altar, then do that a little bit later. We will have the altar ministry team come up because it is emotional. And it hurts to, to, to process the pain of what's been taken from you. It hurts. God is here to strengthen you and to heal you. I ask Eric to come forward because he had a dream last night that is tied into what we're about to do today. It was actually about 5.30 this morning. I was in the dream. I, I was in my family room with my wife and my son and my daughter and, and Karen had done something to influence my son Joel in a bad way without going in detail of the dream and this rage just came up inside of me I couldn't believe she was doing what she was doing and, and when it comes to my children there's this protection thing that's inside of me and I just got mad at her and I just was like, Karen, that's crazy. Why are you doing that? And she was just, it was just like it was no big deal. And she she was doing something that it just really made me angry. And I went to the bedroom and I slammed the the the, the bedroom door and I kept slamming it over and over because I wanted her to pay for what she had done. I wanted her to realize how angry I was at her in this dream. And I just kept slamming it and the door just kept getting weaker. The frame began to break and I, it just turned into a rage. And, and as I prayed about it this morning, it was like, Lord, I don't even feel that way. I don't, I don't act that way. And, and the Lord said, Eric, I'm showing you what some people in the church are going through. And the anger that has gone from anger to rage. And it's out of control. It's, 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 it's deep-rooted. And I just felt like this morning the Lord was wanting to, there's some deliverance from even rage that the Lord wants to do this morning. As you walk through these steps that Tom has led us through, and when the altar ministry team comes up here, I just feel like there's some of you, there's several in here, there's a rage that's been boiling inside of you, and the Lord's wanting to deliver you from that rage. 
And today the word of God says, through Paul, get rid of all anger, rage, bitterness, and malice. And cancel the debt. Cancel the debt. Some of you are angry at yourself. Some of you are angry at yourself. And everybody else pays for the anger that's inside of you, even towards yourself. There's some of you needed to cancel the debt you have towards yourself, towards your spouse, towards your parents. And I believe today's a powerful day of freedom in the holy name of Jesus. And if you'll do business with God, He will set you free today because you're the one that He sets free when you cancel the debt. In Jesus' name, prepare your heart.